Ooh, is that a whiff of summer that I smell in the air? It is heating up, things are getting crazy, vaccines are flying, and we are prepping up for summer. So I'm excited and it is almost June. But of course, you are listening to the Hacker Noon Podcast and my name is Amy Tom. Today, I am joined by JT, who is the co-creator at New Shell, which we will get into a little bit here, and also by Michael, who is the software architect on the SDK team at Couchbase. So welcome to the podcast. JT, how are you doing today? Doing good. Right early here in New Zealand. Yeah, doing yes. Great. Where in New Zealand are you from? I'm originally from the States, but I've been living in New Zealand for the last four-ish years. Okay. It's beautiful. That makes sense with the accent, the American (laughs) accent. Yeah. Didn't quite lose that. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm doing great. Thanks uh, very much for asking. Where are you based, Michael? Uh, I'm based in uh, Vienna, Austria. So uh, pretty much middle of Europe. Yeah. Amazing. And I am in Vancouver. So we are in a worldwide Zoom call today. That's crazy. All right. Awesome. So today we are going to get into some scripting stuff. So I'm excited to hear from you about scripting and JT, of course, being the co-creator of New Shell is going to be a scripting expert. So I guess we'll just start right up from the top. Why would you want to use scripting? What's the purpose? Well, I think one of the, the first things when you pick up something like Python or you pick up New Shell, the first things that you want to do are just simple ideas. Like, I want to add some numbers together. I want to run a command and get some output. But the more that you become expert in what commands are available, you I think your ambition grows from there. You want to take that one command and then grow that idea into maybe a pipeline. All right, I want to take the output of this command and put it here and then change it into something new. Then take that and change it again into something else. And that way of thinking of transforming data from one thing to something else, I think naturally leads itself to growing into scripts. I'd really like to reuse this idea over and over in different contexts, maybe for different directories, or I want to reuse it in some later point in time. So I think scripts are a way that we can capture that idea, that experimentation, bring it back up, and then use it again. The questions that I have for you are around new shell and why you would want to create another shell. You know what I mean? Because I think, I I guess I'm not really sure about what the competition is like in the scripting space because I'm only really familiar with Bash and PowerShell. Yeah. And I think that's most people. Hmm. They come to it and they say, well, I go in my shell when I need to. And one of the things that we were thinking about when we first started working on new shell is can we make it more comfortable? Can we make it more fun in terms of like you go into a shell, but you want to be in the shell? Like yeah. it, it is an experience oh. of, of actually an inviting experience. Yeah, I and, don't know if uh, I've ever correlated fun and <laughs> shell. <laughs> but that's, yeah, I mean, you're not alone. That's going to be most people. They're not going to jump in and say, oh, this is great. This is like a, my warm bath of the <laughs> terminal. But why not? Why not? Why not make it feel so ergonomic, so nice? We're looking at even the error messages should feel inviting. That makes you want to go and fix whatever it is because they look attractive. They draw you in. You're Um, telling me new shell is the warm bath of shell. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Sounds inviting. I think that's that's the ambition. That's the ambition. One of the when we first started, 
we had this kind of theme that we wanted to go for, which is fun should be one of our goals. Mm. When you look at the top goals of the project, fun should be in that list. And that's not the first thing that you think about when you think terminals yeah. or shells. So that's really where it began. And then the other place is new shell thinks about data in a structured way. It wants you to engage with, you know, the commands in a way that that really elevates the Unix way of thinking. So the Unix way of thinking is I have a command, I pipe the output to another command, I have the output of that, pipe that to something else, and it's all text that flows between them. But what it does let you do is compose your commands together. In new shell, all the data is structured. So you never lose the information. If I open a JSON file or I open a, a CSV or an Excel spreadsheet, there's all structured data in there. Their columns or their objects or their fields, you don't want to lose that. Right? You don't mm -hmm. want to go from that back to text and parse the text again, come back from that to something else. You want to just say, open this JSON file, go to this place, get the, the username or something like this get the username out and just have that as one simple, you know, open this, pipe it to something that can get the name, pipe it to something that can print it out in a nice way. And all that composition, as you begin to get used to new shell, feels so good that you can just open something up. And then the next command that you run, use all the same style of command. So whether you're opening a JSON file, or you're getting some data from the web, you're downloading a URL and you want to get the contents from some website, or you're, you're looking at the, just the files on your system. All of those work the exact same way. So it, it's really good at building muscle memory. If I can inject here quickly. Oh, um, please. Basically what you were talking about, the fun part. When you've been working with computers for a longer time, it's not often that you come across some piece of tech where you use it and the first time, the first couple of times, and you think this is really different to what was there before. And we can talk about Rust in, in the same context for me, but new shell is something similar where first you think it's just a shell, but then you start using it. And I know fun is a, it's not, it's hard. Fun is different for everyone, right? But <laughs> once you start using it and, and you discover the power of those different commands and how you can compose certain things together, it just makes you feel so much more productive and so much more powerful on your shell, which then makes it much more fun to interact with it. So as, as was mentioned, that so you, you open a JSON file, you extract data, you store it as XML, right? So you can do that in 30 seconds if you know the commands. And previously, you would probably, it would take you much longer time to do this, right? So the whole abstraction and bringing structure to the different components, in my opinion, is really a game changer when it comes to data transformation, ETL pipelines, which then we can bridge towards couch-based database structure, et cetera. But new shell alone with the functionality it provides as a day-to-day -day shell, once you get used to it, it really makes it so much more productive. And then as you grow to learn, it also makes it much more fun to interact with it daily. Yeah, definitely. And so one thing you mentioned, Michael, is that you need to know the commands first and then it'll be faster. So with something like new shell, which is, I don't know the right terminology around it, but uses the programming language Rust, is it easy for someone to pick that up? So the, I guess you could think of it in two ways. So there's the language that new shell is written in, which is Rust. Yeah. So all the implementation behind the scenes is all written in Rust. Partly that's an artifact of my background. So I helped work on the Rust programming language when I worked at Mozilla. And so I'm really familiar with it. 
but it's also when you look at the languages that you would pick for such a project, Rust is what you would pick. It's mm. extremely fast. It's extremely secure. So if I have something running, sitting in really like vulnerable places of people's machines, you want that to, you know, you don't want to, you want to remove any possibility of any security, anything in those situations. So Rust is a natural implementation language. Okay. And then New Shell itself is a scripting language kind of designed by the careful hands of the folks put, uh, putting it together. And that is really a kind of an ergonomic language that builds from the structured pipelines that we were talking about earlier. So mm -hmm. it takes that idea and says, let's make a scripting language that feels like, so I, I also worked on TypeScript as well. So it has some TypeScript flavor to it. So you can come to it from other languages and there's enough there that it doesn't feel alien. Like you, you can get in and learn it pretty easily. As far as the commands, the system lets you ask about the commands. So you can say help space commands and begin to learn new shell interactively inside of new shell by experimenting and saying, okay, what about this command? And it'll pop up and it'll have some examples and some text so that you can learn a command at a time. And I would say like the last thing about what new shell is like to learn is that new shell is Im immutable by default. So you're not changing anything. You're not, you're not messing up your system. If you could mm -hmm. think of it that way, you're just running commands and seeing what the output is. And if you like it, that's great. If you want to turn it to something else, that's also great. So you're interactively exploring your data or outputs of things without having to really worry so much. I think that also feels like a bit of a game changer, if I could use the term, because you're not having to learn a whole bunch of language up front. You can learn a single command, explore a single command, and then learn one more. And as you learn those two, maybe you can compose them together and get more power that way. Also, so sorry. So also the commands itself, many of them, usually you are already familiar with. So for example, if you are familiar with the LS command on a Unix style system, New Shell also has a LS command, right? So, so many of those commands that you already know from Bash, other shells are already there, but with a different flavor structure, et cetera. So it's not like you're not going from basically from Bash to New Shell and it's back to day one, basically, of learning the shell. Many of those commands will feel very familiar and natural to you already if e PowerShell, if Bash, et cetera. And I want to talk about choosing what scripting platform to use because... Like I said, PowerShell and Bash are obviously like the two biggest uh, ones. And I wasn't even really necessarily aware that there were other options. So I guess my question is twofold. What's really the di main difference between New Shell and Bash? And how would I go about choosing what scripting platform to use? So really, New Shell is ambitious in the sense that it's not... So when Bash was created... I think Bash was created first to be an interactive experience and then thought about, okay, I can make Bash scripts. It was kind of a second thought. It wasn't designed. That would be the original way that people would use it. It would be both styles of experience. And I think PowerShell was the same way. So it was more interactive, but the language grew up from there. It has some quirks as a result. And what we wanted to do with New Shell is to say from day one that we know we want to be able to do scripts, like actually write full scripting files, but also you can just jump in the shell, write the exact same style in the shell itself. So I think that's one of the reasons why it is its own language 
is mm -hmm. because we wanted a language that is actually naturally scaling up and scaling down to whatever size you need. Right. Are there a lot of different options to choose from when it comes to deciding what scripting platform to use? It is the, the scripting language. You can run, for example, Python or Ruby or anything on top of New Shell if you wanted to. Mm. But New Shell itself is already a scripting language. So you don't actually need to call mm. into other scripting languages. You could, if you want, just stay inside of New Shell itself, mm. use it, uh, write your scripts in it, grow, and in fact, grow programs ultimately in New Shell itself. And what variables is New Shell using? Oh, so in, I guess one of, the, one of the interesting things in New Shell is because it's both a shell and a scripting language, we have to sit one foot in each side of the world. So in the uh -huh. shell world, you have to work with environment variables. And this is how commands communicate with each other, basically. But you can set some environment variable. And then as you run another command, you could detect that environment variable in your environment. So we do support that. But new shell also has the native variables that you could just set a little variable to some answer from the output of a command and then use that later. Okay. All right. No. So let's talk about then using shell scripting to modify the database. Michael, can you tell me what the correlation between new shell and Couchbase is? Yeah, sure. So when I started playing around with new shell early on, so one of the early releases, I quickly realized that having the power of and flexibility of new shell, not, not only scripting is one part, but also the interactive way to look at data, basically look at structured data or semi-structured data like JSON. Taking that and combining it with a database like Couchbase gives you a rich tool set with minimal effort basically on our side. Because the, the thing is, as a developer, there are so many things you potentially want to do with your database. Think of workflows like importing data, exporting data, analyzing data, or let's say you have two databases and you want to figure out what are the differences. I have a production system, I have a staging or a development system, and I want to figure out what, what's the difference in the data, etc. Like those kind of workflows are potentially very simple, but also potentially very complex. So writing tools as a company like Couchbase, writing tools that would support all these use cases is incredibly difficult because there are so many. So the, mm -hmm. the design process was, okay, let's take the flexibility of something like New Shell and add the Couchbase specific features on top, like commands, etc., which allow you to import, export um, data on the one hand, but also for operations, look at uh, the state of the database. What are my indexes on the database? Like how am I... Or like, how is it doing? What is the health of my system? Which then gives operations or DevOps the same functionality and flex flexibility that, that the develop developer would get. So taking a use case, let's say I wanna I'm a developer and I want to import data. I have a bunch of JSON files flying around in my um, directory and I want to import it into Couchbase. So I, with a couple of new shell commands, I can load those files into new shell and then use uh, the Couchbase-specific commands that we added on top to take that stream of data. It, it's just a stream of data. We don't care if it came from XML, if it came from JSON, if it came from even a website or something. So basically, that data gets imported into New Shell. We take the structure and then store it into Couchbase. And you can do that with a couple of commands. And because New Shell provides us the flexibility of transforming the data along the way, 
You can, for example, perform data cleanup tasks or data enrichment tasks in your Nutrient pipeline. So you clean up the data, you enrich it, and then you store it into Couchbase. And you can go the other way around. You can export data from Couchbase and then clean it up and store it as XML or store it as JSON. Or if you are in operations, maybe, and this is where scripting comes in again. So then I can go in and say, okay, I want to run a script which every three hours, for example, looks at the health of my indexes that are stored in my database. And if one of the properties, let's say one is over a certain quota or an index has been failed over and is not available anymore, whatever that is, so I can run that. And then I can write a new shell script that analyzes this data. And then, I don't know, calls a pager or gives me an email warning or whatever. So mm -hmm. I can combine the flexibility of data import export and working with system state together with the flexibility of new shell writing scripts, analyzing the data and transforming it in the way that I need for my use case. So that's the, the flexibility right. of combining both. Okay, Michael, what I, I'm hearing you saying is that you use new shell in the database to import export and also to modify the records occasionally for certain reasons, cleaning up the data, for example. Yes. Yeah. So it's not used inside the database, but rather the user gets a CLI tool, basically, which mm. happens to be a full-blown shell to perform those tasks. And I was going to ask then, why would you need a full-blown shell for a database in the first place? Could you not do those queries without the shell? You could, yeah. So of course, as a database, we provide SDKs for all the languages, Java, Python, whatever. But those are more used for you write your application server in Java, and then you deploy it to production. That's where the regular SDKs come in. But if I think of it from an interactive way, so I'm a developer on my local machine. And of course, I'm writing my application that I'm going to deploy. But there are so many other tasks which I need to do separately of my main application, as we talked about data import, data export, which very often it's the same with in my experience with many of these extract, transform, load, those ETL pipelines, that most of the time you're actually spending cleaning up data. So bringing the data into the shape that you'll actually need in your database when you store it or when you extract it, especially Couchbase, is, Couchbase doesn't enforce any schema. The schema mm -hmm. is enforced by the application, so we have an implicit schema. But yeah. depending on the application that you have, it could be that the, the JSON documents that you ingest are very complex and very different because i don't know they are being ingested from one million different sensors and then you need to figure out what's in them and then when you export the data very often you need to clean it up or you only need certain parts and and this is i think this is this brings us to another thing where you mentioned performing those queries without the shell yes but what you can do is you can combine it so we have a query language which is called nickel that is very similar to SQL. So what you can actually do is you can run a nickel query. So you can write a select statement with joints, whatever you want, and then take the output of that result, pipe it into new shell, and then perform more operations on it. You can make it as simple or as complex as you want, or even combine it. Uh -huh. Can you give me an example, a real life example of using new shell to modify a file in the database or to clean up the data? What do you mean by clean up the data? Clean up, again, depends very much on the application, on the data you have, right? Mm -hmm. So if you think of it from a relational side, so if a traditional relational database has a very structured schema. You have your table with, and every table has a specific schema with columns, etc. Now, mm -hmm. Couchbase doesn't impose that schema on you. So it's 
it gives you more flexibility, but of course, with flexibility becomes potentially more complexity, right? Depending on how you structure your application, where your data comes from, et cetera. So imagine a use case where, and we, I've seen this a lot in the past at my previous company where I was doing consulting, especially if you go into enterprises, let's say. Mm-hmm. Every department has their own database and the trouble starts when these different departments need to interact with each other. So they need to come up with APIs or ways to communicate and share data between those departments. Mm-hmm. And of course, like building full-blown REST APIs, whatever, that's the, the highest sophistication. But very often, all that's needed is a certain data export, for example. Right? So every day we're going to export data and send it over to this other storage where the other system is picking it up. So of course you can go in and say, okay, I'm, I'm writing a Java application for this, whatever. But you could use new shell or CB shell um, on top, which basically you run a couple commands, you extract the data you want. And then maybe, I don't know, let's say you have sensitive information in your data that you can't share with another department. So then mm-hmm. you have the data and then you can scrape the data and remove the sensitive information before mm-hmm. you store it in XML or JSON, whatever, as on file. And then send it over to another department. So that's just a use case that I just made up. But it's very common, these kinds of situations. Or to give you another example, as a developer, one thing that comes up very often is if if you just want to try out something is I need sample data, right? I need fake data, whatever. Just something that I can test it out and play around with it. So in CB Shell, we added a fake command, which allows you to generate fake data based on a template. So you can say, generate me a user with kind of random first name, last name, email address, whatever, but give me 10,000 rows. So then you get a stream of 10,000 users, which -hmm. you can ingest into the database. So basically with one command, suddenly I have my database filled with 10,000 random users that I can then go on and create an index query to play around with the database. That's another use case that, that comes to mind. Okay. And as a, okay. as a third one, so that's a developer angle. But then from an operations perspective, you can also use our commands to monitor the health or inspect the health of the system. How are my nodes doing, right? Couchbase is a distributed system. It can have many nodes. Some of them could be downs. Or you could say, okay, I'm running a job every, I don't know, two hours that inspects the disk quota of my system to make sure that all the, the, the nodes in the database are not over a certain quota to make sure my system is healthy, is not overfilled, et cetera. So I can, I can query my nodes every two hours and then run some script code, which checks against certain parameters that I made up that say, okay, I, I want to make sure that it's not over 80% of my disk. And then when it's over that, I can filter it and then I can get a list of all the nodes that are unhealthy, whatever that means uh, in my context. And then I can take that and send an email to my sysadmin and say, hey, please look at those nodes because they look unhealthy, something like that. So it's very flexible, but there are many use cases which are really driven by the very specific needs of that person, which is very hard for us to predict upfront. Right. Michael, one of the things that I've been doing over the past couple of episodes is just learning about databases in general, because I'm not a database expert. I don't come from a database background. So I've been learning through Couchbase employees, essentially, of database information. So one of the things that I've talked about with other members of the Couchbase team and what I want to talk about with you is the querying of the data, because from what I gather, there's 
so many different ways to query data, whether it's going to be like a nickel query, whether you're going to run your new shell script or whatever. How do you determine what kind of query you're going to run on your database? So that's an interesting question. I even did. So we have an annual Couchbase conference, Couchbase Connect. And I always did a talk about which service to pick <laughs> because yeah. it's a, it's a it very complicated. <laughs> well, yeah, but actually, in my opinion, if you get the basics, which I can tell you about, it's actually, I don't find it that complicated. It's just that if you see all these different services, you quickly get overwhelmed. But there are a couple of rules you can apply, which very easily allow you to figure out which service to use in Couchbase. And the reason why I gave the talk is because I'm working on the SDKs, which is really where the developer interacts with the system. Mm -hmm. And this is where the challenges start, let's say. So mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time figuring out what the right APIs are that users are interacting with. Yeah. That's what I spend my, most of my day yeah. with. Yeah, so I, I like the analogy of a tool belt, right? So, so you have a tool belt and in your tool belt, you have different tools, right? You have a hammer, you have a saw, you have different things. And for different use cases, you pick different tools, right? You wouldn't drill in a, a nail with a saw or something that, that just doesn't work. So... Couchbase has a handful of services that you interact with as a user. And it depends on from what angle you're coming from. Usually what I'm personally, what I'm telling users is, especially if they're coming from relational databases, they're very quickly drawn to Nickel, right? The query language, which looks very much like SQL. Mm -hmm. it, it is powerful, but again, with power and flexibility comes complexity, right? Yeah. So that's why I always start with our key value service, our data service, which many people understand from a caching point of view, right? So you have a unique key in your database and you have a value associated with it. So if you know the document ID, the unique key in your bucket, then going and which document to load and store, going through the key value service is the easiest and fastest way into Couchbase. Storing a document, retrieving a document or retrieving multiple documents is really the fastest way. And actually, if you look into the architecture of for example, let's say you do a nickel query and the query service underneath also calls into key value, right? So it's just complexity on top, basically. So again, if you have the document ID, you go through the key value service, that's the easiest and fastest way in and out of Couchbase, okay? That also, that's also what we recommend or what I recommend is when you're building an application, you want to develop your database schema or the way your documents look like based on the hot code part of your application. So I know that, let's say I'm building a specific application and I know that 80% of my users will go through that path. They go to that URL, they access those documents. And I want to make sure that they get the fastest experience possible. So I'm making sure that's the fastest way. So I'm, I'm modeling my document IDs, et cetera, for that pattern. But then, okay, that's covered. So I have a fast application, but then very often you have many secondary use cases where it's not always say I need to load one document. And this is where Nickel comes in, where I can see I can build secondary indexes on my documents and I can query, I can basically fetch information from the database where I don't know the document ID. This is where I'm building indexes and this is where I'm starting to write those Nickel queries with joins and, and predicates and where clauses and all those things. Nickel is always going to be a little slower than key value just because it needs to do more work. A query engine is involved. It needs to do the planning, the parsing, or like all these, these things that a simple key value lookup, uh, and, and I'm doing my colleagues on the server side at this service by saying it's just a hash lookup when you do key value because there is so much going on under the hood. 
But if you do key value, it's really pretty much the ID. It does a big hash lookup. You get the document back, which is very quick, right? And a query engine just needs to do more work, but it's also more flexible. So that's the second tier. And then we talk about search, right? So if you have full text search use cases where you need freeform searches, you need faceted searches, right? You're building an online shop where um, on the side, like facets, okay, I don't know, you're searching for, I don't know, clothes, and then you see the brands on the side, like those kind of things. That's where search comes in. In my opinion, if you need search, you need it, right? There are certain use cases which you can't do with nickel because nickel is black and white, right? SQL, you either get a result or you don't get a result if the query matches. With search, it's more gray, right? So search says, oh, this string, this string matches 80%, but this other thing only 70%. So it allows you to rank, perform searches on big bodies of documents where it's not black and white. So that's the search use case. And then the other ones are eventing and analytics. Now, eventing, again, is, is another side topic where you can think of it a little bit as stored procedures where you can run certain functions when documents change or when timers fire, right? That's a little separate. Usually you, you use those for data enrichment tasks or other things that need to run in the background, right? You're not controlling that from your application, but again, talking about data cleanup, right? So you could have an eventing function that runs in the background every time it sees a certain document type and mm -hmm. it, con it contains fields that, that shouldn't be there it can go in and clean those up, basically remove those fields, store the document again, and in the background, basically update your application. And then analytics, which we added in 6.0, I think this is really where, so nickel is really used for online OLTP type use cases where you would have your traditional relation database. So you, you if, if you have your indexes tuned, you get responses in milliseconds, but that also means you're working on your most recent and online data. That's what you want. But then you have use cases where what, what people call a data lake. So you have your terabytes of data. And then once a month, someone from the, I don't know, from the reporting team says, hey, I need to run this report over all my data, which might take uh -huh. four minutes, five minutes, whatever. So that's a very separate use case. Usually you wouldn't use the analytics service as part of your interactive application, but it's really meant for those use cases where I really want to run reports or extensive queries against my data. The, the cool thing is with the analytics service, if before we had it, what people had to do is they used Couchbase as a like the primary system to perform the application workloads. And then they had to export all the data into Hadoop or some other system and then perform the analytics queries there. Now with the, an analytics service integrated in Couchbase, that's all gone. You can basically perform your analytical queries that might run minutes or longer on the whole data sets on the same platform where you would do your key value nickel op operations that are online services. That, I, I think yeah. that's the power of the system. <laughs> okay, but I feel like I still don't really understand like okay. what, as a new database administrator, how do I choose which query option to use? The, the query itself is probably not defined by the operator, but rather by the developer. Huh? So when you develop your application, you extract the data and then you create the index or you just use the primary index. And this is where operation comes in and says, okay, actually it looks like this query is running slow. And then let's see how we can create a secondary index that makes this query perform better. Mm -hmm. But usually the way you interact with the data is defined by the developer who writes the application because they know 
what data they need and how they need to access it. Operation really looks after, is my system healthy and are those queries going as fast as possible, but they are not concerned really with how the query looks like, only how it executes. Okay, so as a developer, I would already be I would already know going in that if my database administrator wanted to run this specific function, they would be using a new shell script. Not necessarily. Okay. So the, the operator has many different ways to, to do it. New shell scripts would be one way, but it's just something that we provide to the user as a benefit, right? Mm -hmm. no yeah, so one I'm saying as the database operator, how do I know which option to use when I'm searching for a specific piece of information? Yeah, so, so I, I think that's pretty much dictated by your personal preferences and mm -hmm. also how that data needs to be stored and exported later on. If, if I'm an operator and I just need to do a quick search, I can go into the UI, right? I can, yeah. I can go into the UI, type the query, see the results, that's fine. But then if I need to take that information and send it somewhere else, then the difficulties start, right? Then I need to yeah. copy, paste it into another file and then open, I don't know, an editor, put it in there, change it. So if, if you're just inspecting something on your own on the UI, that's totally fine. I think mm -hmm. where new shell, couch-based shell and scripting comes in is where you really need those more automated workflows and you have more data transformation needs, right? Where, again, as mm -hmm. we said, take data, transform it in different ways uh, because that's something you can't do on the UI. On the UI, you can look at your document, you can run a nickel query or something. But then when the challenge is, okay, now I need to change this information, uh, I need to maybe store it in XML because, or I need to create an Excel file for my analysts. That's not something the UI can provide, right? And this is where new shell and Couchbase shell come in, where I can take that information and create an Excel file out of it, which I would have to do manually otherwise, which is, of course, very tedious and error prone. Okay. And so why did you choose new shell? Why did Couchbase specifically choose new shell to integrate with instead of going for uh, Bash, let's say, or PowerShell or something? So both, okay. So Bash and PowerShell, they are, the only thing we could do is basically write tools on top. The great thing with new shell is that, again, it's written in Rust. And yeah. it's written in a way that we can extend it. Right. So basically what we do is we take the new shell source code and this is where Rust and its great ecosystem comes in. So new shell is distributed not only as a binary, but also as a library, as what we call a crate in Rust, which is like a package that you can use in your package manager and, manage and include it. And then we are adding our own commands on top and build a new binary on top, right? Mm -hmm. So we are basically giving users a binary they can run, and when they start it, they get everything of new shell and Couchbase stuff on top. Not this is something able to build that binary on top of like a PowerShell. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if, if that's even possible, but if yeah. it is, I I wouldn't write. I want to write C and C plus to be honest. And, and the nice thing here really is because new shell was designed with extensibility in mind, mm -hmm. and the safe aspects of Rust really give me confidence that when I extend new shell. I can create a binary that is stable, that doesn't sec for it. Basically, that's something I can give users with trust and it just works. And, and this is an aspect, especially that usually users put a lot of things in their application stack, but the database is something that users need to trust, right? Because like, there are a couple of sins that users don't forgive databases. One of which is data loss, for example, right? The database <laughs> is not allowed to lose your data. And also the commands or the, the binaries we provide 
users have a very high expectation of the stability and functionality mm-hmm. and using building on top of new shell building on top of rust really gives us uh, that safety but also we don't have to reinvent the wheel so we can build on this great foundation of new shell give the users the flexibility add our pieces on top and it's at Couchbase, there is currently basically so two people working on it, but on the sides, right? It's not something like two people full time. And and because of all this work that Jonathan and all the other great open source contributors are putting in to New Shell, we can benefit from that. All the new features that are rolling in week after week, we, we, we just pick those up, super happy to see them coming in, put our stuff on top, which we, of course, we also try to improve. But the end result is so much more than the two individual pieces, basically. It's just, it's really a tool that is fun to use. And the other aspect is we're really trying to push it internally as well. Couch bases are picking it up internally, trying it for their use cases and giving us feedback. Hey, we need that new command or that thing doesn't really work or how can we extend it? And in my opinion, again, coming back, going full circle back to the original discussion, having a tool that is fun to use, right? Like usually databases are not associated with fun, right? Like it's a place (laughs) you store your data and that's it. But if you can give a developer operations a tool, they really like to open up, play with it and and see the results they want and then basically go away smiling. That's the end goal I want to achieve. And Nushal really gives us this big leap forward, basically, which we can attach to. Mm-hmm. JT, how does it feel as the co-creator to hear such good things about New Shell? <laughs> I love it. I love it. I feel like you get these opportunities where you're like, if we make it extensible, maybe someone will come along and plug their ideas into that. And whether that's a new contributor coming along and, and adding a new command, or whether it's like Michael and Couchbase, and this idea of taking new shell and then growing a whole shell, like starting new shell and then building on top of it. So you have a new experience added to it. I think it's awesome to be Mm -hmm. able to watch it grow in that way. Have any of your other customers done something similar? That's a good question. There are other people using new shell in different contexts. So Mm -hmm. I think Couchbase is the only one I know of that's like trying to build a full new shell around that. Mm. But you can take uh, as Michael said, like we're built on these libraries or crates in Rust speak. And so you can use some piece of that in other contexts. So people are experimenting with using parts of, say, New Shell's data processing system in one context or New Shell's way that we do structured data in another context. Mm-hmm. And yeah, to really see the system get pulled in those directions, I kind of think is fun because yeah. that gives a lot of space for different people from different backgrounds to jump in and really grow new shell in their kind of their experience circles. And really what it leaves is a much stronger new shell. So I'm all for it. Yeah. Amazing. So JT and Michael, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. If we want to find new shell and you JT online, where can we look? So new shell, you can go to newshell.sh which is the mm-hmm. website. Uh, we've got a GitHub repo. We've got a really active Discord that's linked to from the, the GitHub. So definitely check those out. You can find me at Twitter at J-N-T-R-N-R. Amazing. Okay, great. And Michael, where can we find you and what you're working on at Couchbase? Yeah, if, if you really want to get started with Couchbase Shell, you just go to couchbase.sh, which shows you everything, gives you the documentation, download links, everything to check out. If you're using it and uh, you enjoy it or you don't enjoy certain parts on GitHub, please fight issues. We're really at that stage where 
we're actively looking for feedback and we really want to move fast and incorporate it. And if you want to contact me directly, you can do that on Twitter as well. So that's D-A-S-C-H-L, Daschl, uh, on Twitter. And I'm pretty active there too. If you ping me, I'm happy to respond. Amazing. I will put all of those links in the show note. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. If you like this episode, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to our Hacker Noon podcast channels. And as always, you can find us at Hacker Noon online on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Hacker Noon. And if you didn't like this episode, you can tweet JT about it. I don't care. Goodbye.